Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Church podcast. This is Pastor Clark here. Just want to say thank you for tuning in and listening. We're beginning an exciting new Advent sermon series called Advent Between Two Worlds. And you're going to hear a sermon that we did just this past Sunday on that and how we can look at Christ's birth and Christ's future coming. And in between those two stories, how we find ourselves in this glorious story of God during this Advent season. We also invite any of you to join us for worship, either online or in person at 8.30 and 11 traditional in our sanctuary or 9.45 in contemporary in our dining hall. You can go to our website, wesleymemorial.org to learn more. Thanks again for listening. God bless each of you. And we hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You're talking about COVID. When I uh, had it in July and you're locked and you're locked in my bedroom for who knows how long. Um, I was in there so long, I was washing dishes in the bathroom sink. I was flushing food scraps down the toilet. I mean, it was, it was rough stuff. But you have a lot of opportunity to watch TV, right? It was one of the blessings of our modern age when you have that much time on your hands. And I came across this show I've always wanted to watch. I got to watch all the things I've wanted to watch. But once you have children, you never had time to watch. And so there is this, this sports documentary series called All or Nothing. Maybe some of you have watched this. They follow uh, professional football teams. They follow soccer teams um, for a whole season. And they, they, go, they, they, they track what these guys are doing. Um, they even followed like rugby teams. And I happened to watch one of those. And I tried to follow the sport of rugby, which I'm pretty sure um, they're really just making it up as they go along. I, I'm pretty sure that's what's happening with rugby. Um, but it probably makes as much sense as uh, uh, our professional football would make sense to an Australian. I mean, our rules are weird too, but um, that's something about these guys, though, is, is like every, every year, the beginning of the season, they all say, um, we're going to win championship, right? No matter what professional team you're on, that's the goal. Now, even if I was, if I was on a professional sports team, and I'm making $5 million a year, and I know our team is horrible, I will still say to the coach, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go all the way, coach. We're going to win this title. Um, but they all have that goal in mind. Even though only one team is going to reach that goal, they still say, it's all or nothing. We're going to leave it all on the field. We're going to give it all we got. We're not going to back down. We're, gonna sh- we're just going to shoot for the moon, right? And, and, and at the beginning of a new year, I think it's so important just, just to say, let it be a year of all or nothing, Right? Because we just came through a year that we're glad it's over. And we made it. Amen? We made it. <laughs> we're here. <laughs> and, and what better time yet to say it's a year of all or nothing. Because as we had our church history, and we look at our, the apostles of the Christian faith, these were men and women who, who said it's all or nothing for us. We're not just going to barely give the 10%. But we're going to give it all. We're going to leave it all in the field. And dare I say, I argue, they had a much rougher cultural experience to navigate than we do uh, in terms of persecution. And yet they still said it's all or nothing to us. And so when you read the Gospels in the New Testament, um, they really worked hard to, to get it right. They, they really worked hard to lay it out exactly how they saw it. All or nothing. So when you read Matthew and Luke, their Christmas accounts are very uh, biographical, they're very detailed, they're very literal. 
you know, shepherds, Mary and Joseph, and the birth story, and the genealogy of Jesus, and, and they, they, they wanted to lay all that out for us, for their readers, for the future. Even the epiphany, right, when the wise men come, and they bring the gifts to little, the, the baby king. But then you have John. His, his account comes into play in John 1 that we're going to look at today. And, and John doesn't do what Matthew and Luke did. John doesn't go into the epiphany. He doesn't talk about the literal stuff. But what he does do is that he shows us what those things mean. What all those things about Christmas, what do they mean? What's the, what's the thousand foot view or whatever that, that saying is? The big picture so as we see in John 1, he starts by saying, in the beginning. And it sounds a lot like Genesis 1, and I don't think that's by mistake. He's saying, just as God created new everything in Genesis 1, here we are in John 1, and God is remaking humanity. He's making us new. In the beginning, he's going right back to the beginning, though, John does. Just as God was making something new in Genesis 1, now in John 1, He's saying God is doing something new again. Here, look at John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. It's a big statement. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And then to verse 14, And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So there's really two parts to what I've read, and that is the word, the word made flesh, and then the word has lived among us. John's gospel begins with language that sounds nebulous and huge and audacious and bold and, and full of certainty. There's no hedging of bets with John here of saying it maybe or, or possibly the word was in the beginning. No, he's making it very clear. He's being very literal. He's saying this is all in. I'm all in on this. This is what I've seen, John says. I've seen it. And it and it sounds audacious. Pull it back up. Pull up John 1, 1 through 5 again. It sounds audacious because it is. Because it's true. Because it's all true. And John is saying, this is what I have seen. He literally says, we have seen his glory. This is what I've encountered for myself. And I'm writing it down so that you will know. And, and he talks about the word. The word. You know, it can sound like such a cosmic title that for the, especially those of us who aren't necessarily religious people, we can hear that and go, what does that mean? The word? The word was in the beginning? What? Is that like the, the Bible? Is that like the book? <laughs> what does that mean? Wait, let me explain a little bit. The older I've gotten, I, I've always thought I've, I'm pretty good at looking at someone I don't know and kind of figuring them out a little bit like how they dress or who they hang out with or what kind of car they drive or what, where they went to school, right? We look at all these characteristics and we think we know someone on the externals. Or we'll do what I call creeping the book, which is going on Facebook. You're, you're being a little creepy. And, and you're looking up somebody 
and you want to get to know the person. So you look, oh, that's what they look like, okay. And there's that's where they went to school, or go on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, and you get to know these people. Even though we've heard the, the phrase, you can't judge a book by its cover, well, we plug, all, we plug along ahead anyway, and we judge along anyway by the, the cover we see, right? But until you open the book and you read the words, you don't really know the book. And so we look at people and we know about people. We know what they look like or where they're from or who they're, maybe we have mutual friends. But until you hear their words, until you talk to them, you don't really know them. And someone will say, have you ever met so-and-so? And you go, well, no, I, I haven't. I know them, but I've never talked to them, right? Because until you speak to them, you don't really know what they're like. You don't know their isms and their energy and their personality and their idioms and their, their words. You can know all about the person, but you don't really know them. It's the same with God. We can know all about God. We can know all about we even have a lot of head knowledge. We can even believe in God, but not know God. Until you know his word. Until you know the words that are the word of God for yourself. Until you know that the, but the word has become flesh. If you've never spoken to God and let him speak to you through his word, then you, maybe you don't know God, but you can. He is the word of God made flesh. Because if you want to know God in 2021, if you want to know him personally, you can only know him through his word, just like you can only know a person through their words. The word has been made flesh. Now, that statement, the word made flesh, one of the difficulties of preaching in Christmas, or really at any time, is trying to distill down these massive, universal, cosmic topics into something that's digestible. Because that one phrase, the word of God, made flesh, is, is, is so immense. The word made vulnerable. The word of God made delicate. The word made dependent on a mother and a father. The word made susceptible to frailty, to tem even temptation, but didn't give in. Even susceptible to death. The word made flesh. John 1 is telling us, though, that God has spoken rationally. The word logos in Greek, where we get the word word, is where we get our word logic. The, the logic of God made flesh. The, the word made flesh. What does it mean that God has given us his logic, if you will, in the flesh? His his who, who, who God is. If people, want, people will say today, I want to know who God is. Well, I would say look at Jesus because he is the full expression of the Godhead. He is God in flesh. If you look at Jesus, we know who God is. Now, when we say the word has been made flesh, are we saying that God has provided a logical, uh, infallible argument that Christianity is true? Uh, no, because you can't philosophically prove that any worldview is empirically true or else everybody would believe it. You can't actually do that. God has not given us an infallible argument for the truth of Christianity through the word made flesh, but what he has given us is an infallible person, the person of Jesus, the word of God, the only 
perfect person. As Tim Keller says, his life towers above all other lives. All other lives. His life is perfect. He's perfect. The word of God made flesh. Now, how is he perfect? There's a lot you could say there. There's a lot of reasons that Jesus is perfect. But one is that he came down, made flesh, lived among us, lived a sinless life, and poured out his life for us. He showed perfect love for the world, full of grace and truth. So the word is made flesh. The logos of God is made flesh and, and lived among us and came down to us. I saw a movie uh, in 2016 called Hacksaw Ridge. Who's ever seen Hacksaw Ridge? It was nominated for Best Picture that year. Um, probably the best war movie I've ever seen. It's up there with Saving Private Ryan. An incredible story of Desmond Doss. He was raised Seventh-day Adventist, uh, Christian, and um, was a conscientious objector in the army. So he's one of the few soldiers to go into battle in war, or any war, World War II, without a rifle, chose of his own volition. And his uh, people and his, you know, his other soldiers along with him thought he was crazy. They thought he was stupid. They, 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 they railed on him. They picked on him. They made him look like an idiot. But he never backed down on his beliefs. Desmond Dawes in the Battle of Okinawa, if you've ever seen this movie, true story, they had to take an escarpment, a uh, plateau above the, the island, the high ground. And the Japanese were dug in, literally dug underground up there. And after the, the military bombarded it with artillery from ships and blowing it up, and the Japanese were still there. So the men had to climb up a, a 400 yards, 400 yards, up a cargo net and try and take the top of this escarpment. Now, as they went up there, the Japanese come, come out eventually. They have a battle. The army gets pushed back off the escarpment and retreats. And of course, leaving up to 100 men up on top of the hill who um, were injured. Desmond Doss refused to leave that night and escape the hellfire of war. And in one night, he rescued 75 men by himself, lowering them with a rope down to the ground and, and saving 75 men. He's the only conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor by the, United, by the President of the United States. An incredible life. And he went on to do, save more lives uh, through the battle of, in, the, in that area. So to an even greater degree, as if one man can come down and save all these lives. To an even greater degree, Jesus has the word of God made flesh and our hour of greatest need. He has come and been made flesh and lived among us and lived among us. So this is one reason why at Christmas we sing Enjoy the World. I love that part where we sing Wonderful Counselor. I'm not gonna sing it now. That would be not good for you to hear, but that, or the, uh, not Joy to the World, the, um, the, the Messiah, right? We sing Wonderful Counselor. The best counselors are those who have been through the fire and come out the other side and understand where you've been. Now, if you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard a message about it. You can go back and listen to it once we put it on the podcast or on the, our website too. But that he is the ultimate counselor. He's the wonderful counselor because he is the word made flesh. Because he did not take the trappings of being the son of God, but he laid them aside and took the position of a servant and poured out his life for, for all of us, 
And what will we do with that gift as the word made flesh? That's why he was the wonderful counselor. And that's why we can go to him with whatever we've got. Whatever you've got this year, you can go to him with it as, as your wonderful counselor. All or nothing. All or nothing in 2021. You'll hear that again probably throughout the year from me. Because not only did Jesus live among us, the word used here in John in the Greek is tabernacled. It's not just lived among us. Now, why is that important? Especially to a Jewish audience, why is that important? In the Septuagint, it's the Old Testament translated from Hebrew into Greek that these men definitely knew about, that they definitely read, they could speak Greek. Um, The word that John uses for lived means tabernacled. Tabernacled. It's the same word that was used when Moses went up to the mountain, got the Ten Commandments, right? We know that story. Went up to the mountain, and, and God said to, or Moses said to God, I want to see you, God. I want to know you. I want to see what you're like, God. Let me see your face, Moses says. And God says to Moses, you can't. If you saw me, it would kill you. I'm that holy and perfect. God's presence on earth is so heavy and powerful and literally overwhelming with his holiness and splendor, it, it kills people. Not because God is hateful, because it's holy and unholy, and they just don't mix. And it's so powerful that we just can't handle it on this side of heaven. So, but God says to Moses, if you want to see me, you can't survive it, but go and build a tabernacle, really like a mini temple, and I will reside in the back of it called the Holy of Holies, and I'll be separated from you by a cloth, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. My presence will be with you. I will live among you. I will be tabernacled with you. This connection would not have been lost to the early Jewish audience of what John is saying. Because back then in the Old Testament, you would have a separation between you and the glory of God. There would be something, obviously a, a piece of fabric or a curtain. And it was obviously like that in the temple when Jesus is crucified. What happens? That curtain gets ripped in half. And he's saying, the word of God has made flesh. He is with you now. There's no more separation. There's no more gap there between you and God. He's is, he is encamped with his people now. That's what it also means, to encamp. So when John says, we, we have seen the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth, he's also saying it's not hidden anymore in a tabernacle. It's tabernacled and encamped in the most perfect possible way. See, in the Old Testament, when there was a gap between God and the people, uh, between two worlds, if you will, is the, there's a gap between God and the people. How would, you, how would they bridge that gap? They, they'd, they'd kill an animal, bleed it out on an altar to atone for the sins of the people. That's one way. Maybe pillar of fire, a cloud of smoke. Um, maybe there would... Uh, be uh, even blood of a lamb over a door frame in Exodus so that the, the wrath of God passed over the people, right? In the New Testament, John is saying the word of God is made flesh. He bridges that gap between God and people. He's the ultimate expression of who God is, Jesus is. So, so when Jesus says, I'm gonna judge the world one day, only God can do that. When Jesus says, I will forgive your sin, only God can do that. When, when you have Jesus is the one that whom all other religions of the world, I believe, are ultimately pointing to. When you have this 
statement of certainty and audacity of John 1. The word made flesh, the logos of God made flesh. You can't go halfway with this. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. You know, when you have a, I was talking about gaps between God and people, and it's the same way with our relationships. When we are estranged from um, a relationship we care about, uh, you know, there, if there, there, you can feel a gap there, right? You feel that two worlds. You feel like if it's gotten worse, that gap widens. And the only way your gap shortens is through maybe an apology or repentance or uh, forgiveness of some kind. Some sort of peacemaker has to step in and, and bridge the gap. And that's what the word has done for us. Now, someone listening today could also feel like you're between the two worlds of who you are and who you want to be. I think we're all there. Here's who I am, but here's who I want to be. I want to be more faithful in 2021. I want to be more prayerful. I want to be more compassionate to the world around me. Now, some of us could feel that gap between those two worlds, but we feel maybe powerless to overcome it. Here's what I want to say to you, though, is this. Don't look at anything in your life and think that can never change. Do not think that. Because if the word of God can be made flesh, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. We can go to him as our counselor, as our wonderful counselor, because he's been there. And we cannot believe the lie that nothing will change in 2021. I refuse to do that. Now, in a lot of contemporary services, you don't really, do, what I'm getting ready to do, you don't do this a whole lot, but I, I have an app on my phone called the, the uh, Lectio 365, and it's a devotional Bible app kind of thing, and it guides you through prayer. It's a really cool tool to have in your, in your pocket, you know, and I'll put my earbuds in. And, and, and they did something earlier in this week that, that had me reflect on 2020, and I just found it so helpful. I wanted to offer it to us today um, as me just sort of guiding, prompting you in prayer. And so I'd like to do that, just for a few minutes. It's really what we would call the uh, daily examine, where we examine uh, our lives and offer them to God. And do this as well as we go into communion and prepare to celebrate uh, that as well. So I'm gonna guide us in prayer just for a few minutes and just to prompt us as we go into this new year. So let's close our eyes. If you're watching online, please do this as well. We're just gonna enter into a time of prayer and let the spirit move and prompt us as we are in this place. God, as we come before you in prayer, we pause to be still in this new year, to breathe slowly, to recenter our scattered senses on your presence. Lord, in this busy season, in the beginning of a new year, help us to be still. We are opening our ears, God, to hear you now, to prepare our hearts for the wonder of a new year. As we reflect on the year we've been through, we offer you our thinking, 
and ask for you to give me peace. Take a moment and think about highlights of encouragements you've had of the past year. What did you achieve? When did you experience joy and wonder? Ask God to give you joy, to rekindle within you a spirit of joy and peace and give thanks to God. As you recall 2020, who were some people that encouraged you? Who was there when I needed help? Picture them in your mind. Who inspired you to become better this year? Take a few moments and just thank God for those people. As you reflect on 2020, what do you want to take with you? What good things have you gained? What have you learned? Talk to God about those things now. Psalm 36 says, Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we live. Our Father in heaven, help us live this year to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me give away myself to others, being kind to everyone I meet. And Spirit, help me love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say.